and welcome to the Pillow of Fire. Hey, everybody. Tanner is here with the Pillar of Fire. I said with, like I'm a guest, but I am not a guest. I am indeed one of the hosts. And I am your other host, Raleigh the Second of America. That is right. This is my brainchild, the Pillar of Fire. Thank you to everybody who's been listening, and I would just like to give another shout-out to uh, uh, Raleigh, because the work that she does for the Pillar of Fire is amazing. Thank you. And if you have not seen it, Please check out the website. She's really good at doing that. She has it all typed out at the house. <laughs> I don't even know how she does it. I just saw whenever we were looking for for a meme, and it's just mm-hmm. it's it is crazy how much effort goes into building one website. Still easier than programming yourself, though. <laughs> all right. So today we are here with the second half of Romans chapter eight. Um, we are going to be doing verses eighteen. So 39, as always, we are reading from the complete Jewish Bible, if you would like to follow along. So let's go ahead and get started with prayer. Dear God, I thank you for this day. I thank you because it is a day you have made, so we will rejoice in it and be glad and know that whatever comes, you are still in control. I thank you that it was gorgeous outside. I thank you for giving us this gift. I pray that you will be with Tanner and I as we read through the pillar of fire. I pray that your spirit will speak to our hearts. And I pray that you will help us to learn from scripture and share what we have learned with others in the best way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, as you all remember, we were left with a little cliffhanger last week because the last verse that we read last week was none other than verse 17. And that ended like this. And if we are children, then we are also heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with the Messiah, provided we are suffering with him in order to be glorified with him. Dun, dun, dun. And we were like, well, I think we ought to stop there for the day because that's a perfect place to end. And leave you all on the words of suffering so that you will have no choice but to come back and hear about the future glory. Which is, quite honestly... Not to be compared. Oh, wait, that's verse 18. <laughs> Let's get into Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I don't. Uh, this is uh, Romans 8 8 uh, 18 do, 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 through 25. I don't think the sufferings we are going through now are even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us in the future. The creation waits eagerly for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was made subject to frustration, not willingly, but because of the one who subjected it. But it was given a reliable hope that it too would be set free from its bondage to, uh, to decay and would enjoy the freedom accompanying the glory of God's children uh, will have. We know that until now, the whole creation has been groaning as with pains of childbirth, and not only it, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we continue waiting to be made sons. That is to have our whole bodies redeemed and set free. It was in this hope that we were saved. But if we see what we hope for, it isn't hope after all. Who hopes for what he already sees? But if we continue hoping for something we don't see, 
then we will still wait eagerly for it with perseverance. Okay, so what can we get into in this section? Firstly, it talks about how physical creation itself is groaning and suffering. And we see this prophesied in other parts of the Bible, where in Revelation and in other prophecies of the future, it talks about there will be earthquakes and famines and floods and the earth is breaking down more and more as we get further and further away from the perfect earth that God created and envisioned and meant for this earth to be. And I would say that that's only just that's only just part of it. I would say the other part of it is if you do any time digging in and even looking and studying nature what you'll see is you'll see, you'll see things in in nature that you know were not intended to be there before. Just cruelty from from animals and within the ecosystem, and you don't just see that. You see other animals in, in fear and in pain, and and all of creation just experiencing this immense suffering. And what it says is, is it says, um, it says it wasn't. That nature didn't do it willingly, but because of the one who subjected it, which we know is a fall of man with uh, mm-hmm. in the beginning with Adam. Um, and we were told by God, we were given the divine mandate to take dominion and rule over the earth. We were the leaders of the earth and we were supposed to protect it and take care of it. And because we failed in that, it's not only us who suffer, but the animals and the earth itself. Because we are, we are, we have become imperfect. We are unable to attend to the world like God intended us to. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important that we make that we make sure we're not becoming apathetic to nature and animals, especially as the world gets more technological and we have less need of nature in our everyday lives and we don't have the same direct contact because, you know, we live in houses. We don't live out in the wild anymore. And a lot of us don't have direct contact with animals that often, especially if we don't have pets. So just because we are getting more distance from the earth, I think it can be really easy for us to stop caring as much about the state of the earth. But we as Christians need to remember that we have the best reasons for taking care of the earth because we know why taking care of the earth is important. It's because God tells us to. And when we leave taking care of the earth and advocating for animal welfare um, to secular people, it's not going to be it's not going to be done with the right purpose because they're not doing it because of God's command. They're going to be doing it because of the belittlement of man and the idea that because we have the same genetics in their belief that uh, that that's the reason why they're going to be doing it. So their message is very different. And I would say another yes. reason it's so difficult nowadays is because... Taking care of the the earth and the animals in it has almost become synonymous with a political view now. Yes. Which is not right at all. There's so many things that have become political that aren't meant to be political. They're not really mm-hmm. political. They're just used in politics in order to get votes. 
And one of those things is the issue of taking care of the environment to where somebody will hear, oh, that person's taking care of the environment. And sometimes some someone will go, huh, well, that guy's an idiot. Or like, well, we know how that guy votes, you know? And- right. And it shouldn't be that way at all. No, everybody should Everybody should really care. Now, this doesn't mean we're going to all agree on what it looks like. This doesn't mean that... This doesn't mean we're going to come to the same conclusion or the same solution. No. But this does mean that we, we need to stop looking at taking care of the environment as so sinister. And environmentalist movement is different than what we're talking about. We're talking about taking care of the environment. We're not talking about politics here. No. Um, but that is important, and we need to recognize that the creation groans just as we groan. So the creation groans because of what Adam uh, did, and everything fell. And because of what Adam did, that causes animal death as well in sacrifice in uh, the Old Testament when before Jesus died um, to cover up sins and to remind them that Jesus was coming to die, that Israelites had to offer animal sacrifice. And that shows how valuable animals are and how horrible sin is because the animals didn't do anything wrong. Animals don't have a moral compass like humans do. Animals are intelligent and they are amazing creatures, but they don't have the ability to process something morally. So they don't do any wrong. And sacrificing an animal shows how serious sin is. That something innocent and something that we were supposed to be taking care of, this animal died because we failed in taking care of it in our sin. So this is all a setup for the for for the hope to come which we have which we actually we talked a little bit about before mm-hmm. and then the next part we hear a we hear a beautiful we hear a, a beautiful parallel um in in verses uh 20 um through uh 23 you have, um, for the creation was made subject to frustration, not willingly, but because of the one who subjected it. But it was given a reliable hope that it too would be set free from its bondage to decay and would enjoy the freedom accompanying the glory that God's children will have. So whenever we are redeemed, the ones who are meant to, uh, who are meant to be God's representatives on this earth, then the creation will be redeemed. The creation has this hope. And when it's talking about this hope and it says we're hoping for something we don't see, it's not a wishy-washy hope. It's not we hope it'll happen but we don't know. We hope with confidence. We hope in expectation knowing what awaits us and we hope not because we're nervous that it won't happen but because we are excited and looking forward to the fact that it will happen. Yeah, and uh and this this is all like this is all there's this wonderful parallel about it mm-hmm. and, um where it says we know that until now the whole creation has been groaning with the pains of childbirth and not only it but we ourselves who have the first fruits 
of the spirit. That's interesting. The pains of childbirth paired with first fruits, where if you read the scriptures, you know that that's a picture of 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 birthing and in mm-hmm. the sense that there it's painful whenever someone gives birth, but whenever the child arrives, just as our hope whenever it arrives, it's such a joyous yes. moment. And uh, something Tano really wanted to talk about is that Christian faith is not a faith without reason. Christian faith is trusting in God, but we have good, solid reason to believe with him. We're not trusting God blindly. Yeah, and this is something that a lot of people will misunderstand, is you'll hear conversations like typically between between atheists and between Christians where where somehow someone will they'll just keep talking past each other because somebody will think that well the Christian is saying that faith is believing without evidence but that's not it at all if you talk to a Christian you'll you'll find out that faith is really believing what uh, faith is putting trust in something that we have good reason to believe yes and you say what is a good reason to believe the good reason to believe is namely, there are many reasons, but namely that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That is the reason. Mm-hmm. That is the main reason why Christians believe. And if you talk to historians, even secular historians, they will tell you that for whatever reason, the followers of Jesus Christ did believe that they saw Jesus rise from the dead. Yes, we have evidence for hope. And even today we have evidence in our own hearts. God is a living God and he is present with us and we can feel him and we can talk to him. But why don't we see it? Okay, listen, maybe this answers a question. I think this is perfect because right here it says, but if we see what we hope for, it isn't hope. So, okay, why God? Why don't you show us? Because it's not hope. If we show you, but why, but why do we need this? After all, who hopes for what he already sees? Well, yeah, duh. But what is the purpose of hope? 25. But if we continue hoping for something we don't see, then we will still wait eagerly for it with perseverance. That is the key. This is a massive hope. And if you look throughout the scriptures and you look throughout the history of the Christian faith, what you'll find is this is a driving force behind men of faith, the hope of the resurrection. Let's get on to verse 26. Similarly, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know how to pray the way we should. But the Spirit himself pleads on our behalf with groanings too deep for words. And the one who searches hearts knows exactly what the Spirit is thinking, because his pleadings for God's people accord with God's will. Furthermore, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called in accordance with his purpose. Because those whom he knew in advance, he also determined in advance would be conformed to the pattern of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he thus determined in advance, he also called. And those whom he called, he also caused to be considered righteous. And those whom he caused to be considered righteous, he also glorified. So when it says that 
uh, we don't know how to pray the way we should, it doesn't mean that we should stop praying by any means just because we don't know how to do it. Um, it means that we don't know how to pray because we don't know what is best for us and we don't know what is best for those around us, those that we're praying for. We have a limited perspective on the world, but God has an unlimited perspective on the world. And I think it's also significant that it talks about the Spirit interceding on our behalf. Interceding is just praying on behalf of someone else. And that's important because the Spirit is here with us. Jesus says to his disciples that he must leave so that the Spirit could come. The Spirit is here with us. Yes, the Helper. Interceding on your behalf. Now, what does it mean? You know those moments whenever you're so struck with with grief or or some extreme emotion. You don't know how to pray, but you know you need to. It's those moments that you need to trust in this promise and lift up to God. Say, I don't know what to pray, God, but I know that you do, and I'm trusting you in this, Lord. And that doesn't mean you give up there, but you know what I'm talking about. And it's just comforting to know that the Spirit is praying on your behalf. But it's not just on your behalf. There's, there's a little, it's contingent upon one thing. That one thing is the will of God. According to the will of God. Look, just because you have a, a dream and a goal, and that's amazing. Mm-hmm. But, but that doesn't mean that the Spirit is praying for that. The Spirit is not praying for what you want for you. The Spirit is praying for what God wills for you, which is ultimately way better and is ultimately uh, the best plan for you. Yes. God is focused on our eternal blessing and not our current blessing. And that doesn't mean that current blessings aren't important or that we can't pray for those things. But it means that they shouldn't be the most important things to us. And they're certainly not the most important things to God. Because one of the most blessed men in the Bible, or men in the Bible, uh, the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, had so much eternal blessing. What does that mean? He had so much suffering here. That's what that means. Because think about it. And this doesn't mean you go looking for suffering. No, not at all. It means enjoy the blessings that you have. Mm -hmm. Thank God for what you have. But recognize that in the trials, you have the opportunity to inherit more and more eternal blessing. Yes. And that's what God is more focused on. I mean, he cares less about how much money you make and more about how many souls you save. And of course, that doesn't mean that if you're having, if you're blessed here on earth and you're in a great time in your life, that doesn't mean that you can't still be building treasures in heaven and you can't still be doing God's will and spreading God's message. It just means that you're doing that in a different way because you have these blessings. You can share them with other people who don't have those blessings. Yes, generosity is something that is so is so important. And you know what? Whenever you have enough to give, give out of what you have. And give with joy. Don't give reluctantly or and don't give just because you want 
eternal blessing. That is that can be a good motivation, but if that's your only motivation, then that's giving selfishly. You give because you love the people you are giving to, and you want to show them the love of Christ. Yes, um, following the example of the Messiah. Yes, and um, I think it also means don't worry when you pray. Don't worry that God's not going to listen or that it's not going to turn out the way that you want it to. It very could well not turn out the way that you want it to, but you can still have confidence that if you were praying for God's will, even if God's will doesn't match up what you were hoping for, you can still have confidence that it's going to be good and it's going to be better so you don't have to worry about it because God will provide exactly what you need. Um, yes, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things will work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And why do we know it? Because there's a four. Why do we know it? Because of the intentionality of God throughout your salvation. That's how we know it. Because God is intentional in pursuing and saving you. That's how you know. If you are in the body of Christ, verse, verse 29 through, uh, through 30, this is the reason that we know. Because uh, I'm going to go ahead and read this out of the ESV here. Okay. For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What did you hear there? You had every part of salvation. You had justification, sanctification, glorification. You are the... you. Are, um, Christ is the firstborn among many brethren, and you are one of the brothers or sisters of Christ. Just as we talked about last week about the being adopted by God and the Spirit in us being evidence of that. This is all intentional, and that's how we know that all things are going to work together for us. Which brings us to the... Verse 31. <clears throat> what then are we to say to the what then are we to say to these things if God is for us who can be against us he who did not spare even his own son but gave him up on behalf of us all is it possible that having given his son he would not give us everything else too so who will bring a charge against God's chosen people? Certainly not God. He is the one who causes them to be considered righteous. Who punishes them? Certainly not the Messiah Yeshua who died and, more than that, has been raised, is at the right hand of God and is actually pleading on our behalf. Who will separate us from the love of the Messiah? Trouble, hardship, persecution, hunger, poverty, danger, war. As the Tanakh puts it, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. 
when it says in this passage that uh, who can stand against us, that doesn't mean that we won't have any enemies. Of course we have enemies. We have enemies both physical and spiritual. On this earth there will be people who don't like us, people who have it out for us and try to hurt us and will hurt us. And spiritually there are demons and there is the destroyer actively working against us. But what that means when it says who can stand against us is that they can't damage what we have in heaven. They can damage important things here on earth. And the things on this earth can be very important to us. And just because heaven is our ultimate goal, it doesn't mean that nothing on this earth matters. Things on this earth matter a lot to us. But it means that the things in heaven matter even more. And... Our enemies can never take away our salvation no matter what we do. That is what we can always trust in and always have confidence in. No matter how they hurt us on earth, no matter how if they hurt us physically, spiritually, emotionally, they cannot take away our salvation. And and this this is another thing is is we know that, and we know God's not just going to let us go. That's what this whole thing is about, is, listen, if you are in Christ, you are in Christ to stay. You are being sanctified. Who can take you out of the hand of God? Because it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? God did not even spare his own son for you. If you are in the body of Christ, God did not spare even spare his own son. If you're out of the body of Christ, you give your life to Christ and know that God gave his son for the world because he loved you and it says that god sacrificed his son his son was not unwilling god sacrificed a willing son jesus was humbled himself in perfect obedience and jesus and god god and the son are in perfect harmony because they are one and we see that even whenever jesus is is praying to god saying god if if you can let this cup be removed from me, which is the wrath of God. And and he said, nevertheless, your will, not mine. In submission yes. to the Father. And that does not mean that Jesus was separate from the Father's will. We that that gets it that's a whole nother topic of, yes. of the two the two natures of Christ. But my point is, is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are in perfect harmony. I think it's interesting, after asking all these questions of who will separate us from the love of the Messiah. So verse 35 to 36, I mean, um, it says, Who will separate us from the love of the Messiah? Trouble, hardship, persecution, hunger, poverty, danger, war? And then it answers, as the Tanakh puts it, for your sake... We are being put to death all the day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. So this And that verse right there, that comes from Psalm forty four and it's uh it comes from Psalm forty four verses twenty three to twenty two. And that uh passage says wouldn't God have discovered this since he knows the seat or uh, if we had forgotten the name of a God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, wouldn't God have discovered this since he knows the secrets of the heart 
For your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. Wake up, Adonai. Why are you asleep? Rouse yourself. Don't thrust us off forever. For the sake of your grace, redeem us. And the whole point, why, why is that verse quoted here right after those questions? And the point is this, is that if you are in Christ, no matter what you go through, you will cry out and say, for your sake, I am being slaughtered. And these are things, this trouble, hardship, persecution, war, uh, poverty, these are things that the early church was dealing with um, and that even many in the church today are dealing with because Paul is writing to Christians who lived in Rome and so they would have been very isolated and separated and scorned by the rest of the community. Uh, The Romans, secular Romans, who would look at them and say, You have nothing. But why would Paul, why would Paul quote the verse after that? Because it's evidence of your salvation. It's the fact that you do persevere. You will persevere. Whenever you give your life to Christ, you are going to persevere. And it may be through hardship, it may be through difficulty, but this is evidence of your salvation. And the reason we persevere is that hope that we were talking about earlier, that hope, that knowledge that these persecutions, they are important and they hurt and they matter, but they are temporary. And we have better things to come, like it says in the beginning of the chapter, that these sufferings, they are real sufferings. But the blessing that is going to come is going to be so great that we will look back and say everything was worth it and a thousand times more. Yeah. What is is the the current sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory which is to come. Let's go on to verse 37. No, in all these things, we are super conquerors through the one who has loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor other heavenly rulers, neither what exists nor what is coming, neither powers above nor powers below, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which comes to us through Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Super conquerors we are not just conquerors because you know what happens whenever a conqueror is defeated he does not do anything you know what happens when a christian is defeated a christian is all the more blessed that means we will never lose and there the, the very fact that we are in the hand of god nothing can separate us we are not just conquerors because a conqueror can be separated from their king a conqueror can be hated by their general but our general our king we will never be separated from and nothing we do nothing anyone else can do to us nothing can separate us from this love of god god's love conquers all and it is so incredible that he loves us this much and i have many times just sat and been in awe of the fact that god loves me and he will love me forever because i know that i am the last one to deserve it i mess up so often and i can see 
how selfish and sinful my heart is when I sit and consider it, but God loves me anyways, and God loves you. That same way he will love you forever. And just sit and think about that for a minute, that someday you will be able to spend eternity with the God of the universe who loves you that much. <sighs> yeah. You, the more I consider, the the more that I consider and recognize the just how sinful I am, the more I realize just how merciful God is and just how unworthy any of us are for the grace of God. And it's enough to drive you. It's enough to... I don't, I don't even know what to say because I'm in a point of reverence <laughs> right now. Yes. Because at the, the, the love of God is so, it's undeserved. It is undeserved. And there was one that paid for it. And his name was Jesus Christ. And he is the only way. And God's love is incredibly active. He doesn't just tell us that he loves us. But he demonstrates that. God says he demonstrates it by sending his son. He shows us how much he loves us by sacrificing himself for us. His love is active and alive. And... Yeah, that's the word I'm at looking for. Active. It's not just passive, it's not just there, it's vibrant, and it's, it's, it's in your face. There's yes, no and way it, around it. It changes the entire world, it changes our entire destiny, that's how powerful it is. It changes you from the very core of your being. It, it changes you through, through something you can't even you can't even understand it's it's beyond it's just like as as jesus said the the spirit is as the wind no man knows where it comes from and no man knows where it goes yes and whatever you have done no matter how you feel whatever you are worried about you can always come to god and he will still love you it doesn't mean that he's always going to be happy with you, and it doesn't mean that he won't correct you for your mistakes and for your sins. I know that's true. But he does that because he loves you, and you can always come back to him, and he will still want what is best for you. Because the mercy of God is way more than our sin could ever be. Yes. And I think that one more thing is to enter into this relationship with God is so simple. If there's anybody who is listening that doesn't know God or have a relationship with God, I, I think that to enter in is so simple. You have to look into the mirror and recognize your sinfulness and then repent of that. Turn away. Say, I don't want to do that anymore. I know that that's wrong, God. And I'm sorry, forgive me. And I want to trust in your son, Jesus Christ, and make him Lord of my life. 
to where he has charge over everything that you do. And it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be long. It's a relationship. It's a journey. But know this, that from the point that you do that, nothing will ever be the same. And that doesn't mean it's going to be blessed in the sense of physical, but that does mean that you are going to have a peace that's above all understanding. And that means you are going to have eternal security in the arms of the everlasting God, the Abba Father. You'll be able to call him Abba Father, Daddy, the creator of the universe. Yes. And that, my friends, is how we are super conquerors. Yes. So with that, I uh, will pray this out. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you, Lord God, for this wonderful time that we're able to read your word, Lord God. It is such a blessing to us. Um, And uh, we just pray over each and every one of our episodes, Lord God, that you would uh, just bless it, Lord God, in whatever way that you will and use it in whatever way you will to minister God. I pray that this would reach many lost souls, Father, and with the hope of the gospel and an understanding, Lord God. And the way that you've directed this episode is just, I'm so very thankful of it, Lord God. Nothing that Raleigh and I could ever do on our own, Lord. Um, but we're so thankful for the moving of your spirit. And uh, I'm just so thankful for the, the edification that we get from this and just a reminder of the thankfulness that we have, Lord God, uh, uh, in you, Lord, and, and the closeness that we have with you. Um, God, and it's just, it's all, it's, I mean, it's awestrucking. I don't even know, but thank you, Lord. Um, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Okay, last order of business, uh, meme and ads for emails. Okay, so for day, today's meme, uh, we have another one that I did, um, because my sister is away at a birthday party. Uh, so it says at the top, mask mandates are like... And then a bunch of pictures of me and weird masks that I made myself. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, once again, I will not rate my own meme, but I will tell you that this came from a day that I was feeling creative and frustrated with being stuck inside without theater and without seeing friends. And I think that kind of stuff is finally lifting. Um... Theater, the theater that Tanner and I have done a couple shows with is finally going to do another live show in the summer. And Whoa. I am thrilled. Wow. And the show they are doing is Godspell, which I am excited for because I've never been in a, like an explicitly Christian musical before. So I am thrilled for that. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, so I, there's me and a bunch of funny masks that I made myself and I think turned out not terrible i won't call them good but they're not terrible and they were a lot of fun to wear wait so you can't tear them oh oh i'm sorry (laughs) other kind of terrible oh they're not terrible as in they don't look like a mess okay i see now i'm not gonna say they look professional but they don't look like a mess either all right i give this meme how are we writing this meme uh out of 50 American stars. 50 American stars. I see Rolly the second of America. Uh, I would like to... I think that this right here... Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this right here... I would give a, uh, a 30 out of 50 stars for this wonderful meme. 30? I'm a, I, I'm a critic. I admit you it. You do know that's a failing grade, right? 
What? 30 out of 50 is not failing. Yes, it is. That translates to 60 out of 100. I'm just kidding. What I meant to say is 45. Okay, thank you. That's not a failing grade. I'll take that. I see. Thank you. Wow. Negotiated me into that one. <laughs> well, okay. I'll take the results. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Remember, you can find today's meme on the website that Tana was talking about earlier, and that is at https uh, colon forward slash forward slash the pillar of fire pof dot wix site dot com slash website that's https colon forward slash forward slash t-h-e-p-i-l-l-a-r-o-f-f-i-r-e-p-o-f dot w-i-x-s-i-t-e dot c-o-m forward slash w-e-b-s-i-t-e And remember that if you have any questions or comments, we would absolutely love to hear from you. And you can email those to uh, thepillaroffirepof at gmail.com. That was a mouthful. That's a wrap.